0: My interest in promoting British Made is to do with supporting local community and it's to do with preserving heritage as well.
1: welcome to episode number 139 of the Make It British podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking to one of our Make It British members. But before you find out who it is, I want to tell you about a special event that we are running this month. So last month we had our business to business trade show, Make It British Live Online. We've caught the bug for virtual events and we're going to be doing another one, this time in a different format. This time it's for anyone who wants to buy UK-made gifts this Christmas. So we are putting together the Make It British virtual pop-up, a three-day celebration of UK-made gift inspiration. Now, you need to come to this event, albeit virtually, if you're looking to buy unique and locally made gifts this Christmas. Our virtual pop-up will be taking place on the Make It British Instagram, a special Instagram account that we have set up just for this event and also on the Make It British website. If you want to attend and make the most out of the event, you do need to pre-register. I'd highly recommend that because we've got a fantastic prize giveaway that's running as part of the event and you can only be entered into that giveaway if you've registered for a ticket. So if you go to makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash pop up 2020 and I'll put the link in the show notes as always. You can find out more details about the event and see the agenda for everything that will be happening because we're going to be interviewing some of our very best and most favourite Make It British members, finding out about the products they sell, where they make them and giving you inspiration so that this year you can give the gift of UK Made. Brilliant. So now on to my interview today, which is, as I said at the beginning, with one of our Make It British members, someone that's been a member of Make It British quite a while. Her name is Rachel Atwood, and she has a fantastic brand. And you'll be able to tell from this interview, I'm a bit of a fangirl of what she does. Her brand is now called Britannical. It was originally called the Great British Baby Company, And she sells beautiful coats for children um, and not just babies now. Hence the fact that she changed the name. And she's going to tell you all about that. Now, what I really admire about what Rachel does is she really has built her business by specialising in doing just one thing and doing it really well. Impeccably well, in fact, which is all the more impressive When you actually find out, as I did during this interview, that her background has got nothing to do with product development or clothing or fashion or anything like that. She's actually come from a completely different original career, which she still runs alongside running the brand as well. So here we go over to the interview with Rachel. So thank you very much for joining me on the Make It British podcast today, Rachel.
0: Thank you for inviting me, Kate.
1: I've been wanting to get you on the show for quite a while. You've been a member of Make It British for many years now, and your brand is one that I highly admire. Do you want to tell people, um, firstly, about the name of the brand and what it is that you do? Uh,
0: sure. Well, um, the name of the brand is quite a recent uh, change, actually. the The brand started life uh, being called the Great British Baby Company. Um which uh, was okay when the brand was mainly catering for uh, toddlers. Uh, But now uh, we're starting to uh, make coats for children up to 12 years old. And we're getting increasing uh, requests for adults. So uh, we chose Britannical um, for a number of different reasons. Obviously, as a British brand, we wanted to get that into the title. But also, uh, we wanted to convey the idea that we're an ethical brand. Um, with a strong commitment to sustainability and the use of um, British uh, wool cloth as well. So I guess that's the ickle bit of things. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Britannical um, is a luxury children's wear brand. We specialize in finely tailored outerwear i'm a big believer in kind of focusing on doing one thing and doing one thing well Mm. so um we haven't as yet kind of expanded into day wear Uh, we we do a luxury line of british made accessories as well to complement the coats but really the the outerwear is our focus and um, everything we do is made in london um, just a stone's throw actually from where my family um, had their tailoring shop uh, back in the Victorian era. Ah. Uh, so that's like coming full circle. And um, yes, we, we use um, only natural wool cloth for our outers. We work with a number of different British textile mills um, with a long heritage. And uh, yes, we, we try to make great British coats.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. So tell me a bit more about your your family history and the tailoring shop um how, how what is how exactly were your ancestors involved in the textile industry
0: well uh, it comes from both sides of the family actually so from my mum's side uh we have uh, welsh woolen mill owners so perhaps this accounts for my love of just <laughs> really really fine uh, woolen cloth unfortunately the the industry has kind of dried up in the south um of wales now, But uh, back in the Victorian era, that was kind of the family business. Um, mm. And on the other side of the family, we have London uh, tailors. So um started out in the 1870s with uh, a tailor shop and a drapery. So kind of an all-in-one, <laughs> one-stop yeah. shop um, um, in the east end of London and um it's just something that's went from generation to generation it did skip a generation actually my father uh, became an accountant (laughs) but um the kind of the love of tailoring and the skill set has been something that's been passed down um actually so although i have not taken a conventional route into fashion um actually i'm a historian (laughs) um and a university lecturer by trade um so that's quite a a weird background i suppose for a coat designer but the skill set so the appreciation of of pattern cutting um not that i can take credit by any stretch for the the patterns that are behind the brand these days actually but just the skill set of sewing of um just knowing what makes a good functional garment is something that has been kind of uh Uh, taught to me from an early age as well as just the Mm. love of fashion and the just the enthusiasm for pairing different colours for experimenting and and this kind of broader uh, enthusiasm for fashion I guess that's something that's been instilled in me from quite an early age.
1: So you studied history then rather than anything to do with fashion or clothing or business?
0: Yes, yeah. In some ways, I feel like a bit of an imposter because uh, so many uh, brand owners in the industry have gone through years of of a fashion college, um, uh, which is, is great. And I feel sometimes a bit as if I'm on a back foot uh, because I haven't had this kind of formal training. Um, yes, I, I don't know whether it's... Uh, a combination of pushy parents or me kind of believing that (laughs) I I should uh, go to university and study very hard for several years. But no, I I trained as a historian. Um, I look at cultural history um, in the Victorian and Edwardian era, and my focus is on London. So this has actually helped me uh, in coming up with the brand identity and thinking about design because I like to go back in the archives and look at traditional tailoring, especially um, obviously children's coats. Mm. So I I like to keep one foot in the past, but also make sure that obviously our designs are relevant and modern. So that's helped in that respect. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: so that explains why your
0: coats have that beautiful
1: timeless quality to them and also why when you photograph your because the the photography that you do for your brand is just brilliant It, it, it the whole you know do you want to describe to people you know how you do photograph your brand because i think that's one of your key strengths and it obviously draws from all your understanding of london history
0: Um, I suppose so. Again, I can't take credit for the photography. Actually, I was lucky enough to go to school with a woman who's an incredibly talented uh, children's wear photographer. She's really kind of tip-top in her, her industry, and we went to a small school in Sussex together, so that's a great coincidence. And we've worked together on a number of different occasions now, and we seem to be on the same wavelength. And so what I like to do is represent kind of a traditional Britishness and kind of a London identity, but all the while making sure that the aesthetic of the images is quite modern and relevant. I I don't want to be kind of uh, stuck in the past. I Mm. I like to kind of, as I said, have one foot in the past, but also be very much heading in the direction of the future. So we've done a, a number of different photo shoots with different aesthetics. I guess one of the um, photo shoots that's had the, the the warmest response from our followers and customers is the London photo shoot, which incidentally mm. was done on one of the hottest days of the year. In um, the cool um, coats. In coats, yes. But the, the children were just so, um, they just took it all in their stride. They're so tenacious. There was no child exploitation going on there, just to clarify, <laughs> okay? Um, yeah. If the police ask. But um, <laughs> no, it's just... Um, Obviously, we, we were filming in um, Kensington and Chelsea and kind of the, the buildings, the streets sell themselves. But just kind of uh, creating a timelessness through the way that the children were posing, um, through uh, the pairing of different coats with different backgrounds. I think really it's a combination of the photographer and the scenery that really uh, did the job there. But yeah, I like playing stunning. on. Yeah, thank you. I like playing on kind of traditional ideas of Britishness, but almost in a, a slightly tongue and cheek way, um, in that um, I, I like kind of conforming to stereotypes with imagery. So, for example, in one of the photo shoots we did, we had uh, children with uh, piles of books and um, a, a cricket ball and, uh, and this kind of thing. So, it's playing to quintessential Britishness, but also in a way that is aware kind of self-aware in some ways does that make sense that uh, mm. we we know that we're conforming to this stereotype and we're doing mm. it <laughs> deliberately kind of thing
1: well it's re- it's really really good definitely so who are the um who are your customers at britannical
0: that is a difficult question, and one that we're asking ourselves on a, a daily basis, because mm. uh, it just it varies from country to country. We're increasingly becoming an export brand, so we have mm. um, quite a following in uh, the US, in uh, Japan, and increasingly uh, Korea and each of these different countries and almost different states in the usa prefer a different style or a different color variation so getting to know our customer is is quite a tricky thing but i suppose what unites our customers is an interest in uh, british heritage or at least kind of um, a heritage to our production whether it's british or otherwise it's this kind of attention to detail it's the um kind of painstaking uh, tailoring and attention to detail that runs through our our production values and also fundamentally i suppose just a, a strong statement coat that mm. uh, will get noticed that looks very wholesome um that doesn't look as if it's just kind of some wholesale garment that's been bought on the cheap uh, and, mm. and made cheaply so yeah
1: and that are timeless as well I think yes. yeah, that is the, the the you know the thing about your brand. They're investment pieces, aren't they? And you said there. I mean, when it comes to you said earlier on that you see yourself as a bit of an imposter because you're not from the fashion industry. How did you go about launching the brand, knowing nothing about manufacturing and how? Or maybe you did. Maybe you learned that from your family history. How did you take those first steps into getting the the coats that you had this vision for, getting them manufactured in the UK?
0: That is a really good question. And to be honest, I think what was exciting in the early stages of the business is just the scale of my ignorance and the fact that (laughs) I set myself a challenge of just learning something new and so it was a massive steep learning curve because i had an idea of kind of the stages of um uh, cmt so how a garment is made but Mm. not really in the context of a modern factory so um Actually, I uh, looked on the uh, Make It British website um, years ago now, almost a decade. Gosh, that's when we
1: first started.
0: Yeah, this is, yeah, really back Mm. in the day. Um, And finding a good manufacturer, somebody that was kind of understanding of the needs of the brand, who had a real um, forte in outerwear production that has It was a process of trial and error, really, that we found plenty of good manufacturers, but perhaps um, not ones that were so focused on outerwear. So we um, or I in person chatted to a number of different um, factory owners. Um, And it really was the importance of a dialogue. I can't stress enough, just kind of showing um, my designs, saying kind of what I would like to achieve. And then kind of it was like reverse engineering. I said, oh, I want this. I want that A moon on a stick. And then they would say, well, actually, we can do X, Y and Z. So it was very much a learning curve based on a dialogue and really using the expertise of manufacturers. And learning from them, I know that obviously factory owners are very busy and they're not there to answer questions from kind of rookies. <laughs> um, they have better things to do. But um, I've met lots of really generous people in the fashion industry in the Brilliant. UK who have mm. wanted to um, kind of impart their knowledge. And they're very sympathetic. They were very sympathetic to me as somebody with effectively a startup and learning the ropes. So. It's just through gaining knowledge of people in the industry, using their expertise and their generosity, and building a really good network of pattern cutters, of graders, of manufacturers. That I mean, that is really the backbone of the brand. I could uh, sit here and claim credit for everything that the brand stands for. That's not the case at all. That I am kind of steering the design element, but behind me is so much talent located in Britain, so much skill Mm. um, and. Yeah, I'm really, really grateful for that. Just finding a great combination of people that bring a sketch to life and make uh, really beautiful garments. Excellent. Well said. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <And>
1: <laughs> <Thank> you, you. <laughs> I mean, I hear from a lot of people, oh, I've, I'm just starting out a brand and I'm having trouble. You know, manufacturers aren't answering my calls or emails. How did you get around that when you first started?
0: It's tricky. I mean, everybody these days is pushed for time. And um, I mean, manufacturers in particular are flooded, I imagine, with uh, different inquiries from people at all stages of business. I guess it's a question of perseverance, but... I mean, events like um, Make It British Live are excellent because they do create this opportunity for networking. So whether it's the physical uh, trade show or it's the online experience that we had last week, it's just such uh, a gift of an opportunity for startups to really uh, network and uh, get some time with with manufacturers. Apart from that, though, um, it's just emailing and being quite... Um, specific with your emails not kind of meandering some kind of uh chain of, of conscious mm. <laughs> stream of consciousness oh this is my life story people don't have the time uh, often to to read long emails so just being quite direct quite specific with inquiries and just persevering as well because sometimes we all need uh a kick in the proverbial to answer an email so just <laughs> don't be offended if you don't get a response five minutes after you send an email you just have to be a bit um tough about it you need to be thick-skinned and just persevere if you think that you've found um, a good partner uh, in the industry then just continue uh, the conversation and try to get their attention and hopefully things will go from there
1: that's really good advice really good so how you said you you are now becoming more of an export brand how do you sell your products do you mostly sell um, Direct, do you have an agent that you work with to get your export orders? Do you wholesale to to shops in the UK? What's your selling strategy at the moment for the brand? and how's that differed from when you first launched?
0: Um, well, that's a difficult question at the moment because things are very much in flux with Covid. So mm-hmm. this time last year, we had pretty much a 50-50 split between wholesale and direct sales through our website. Uh, we would also do kind of pop-up opportunities to um, have more of a uh, on-the-ground presence, as it were. But things have really started to change. Obviously, trade shows um, haven't happened um, uh, for the past six months. So that has made us think more as a brand to move more kind of digital, Mm. as it were. So, um, Botanical is in a state of transition uh, towards kind of focusing on its website as its main kind of platform for trade. Um, I haven't ruled out the possibility of continuing partnerships with kind of our bigger retailers. Um, But I think that everybody has suffered uh, in the industry from the COVID crisis and they're continuing to suffer. And that includes the independent uh, boutiques that would have been our stockists. So it really mm. is um, a quite uh, an uncertain and transitional moment, I think, for Britannical and for lots of brands. And so what we've been doing is investing more in the product range. We've been uh, going Uh, digital, uh, kind of enhancing the digital aspect of the business. So we're now, we've got a fully translated um, website in Japanese and in French. We're looking into uh, uh, bringing Korean into the mix as well. So becoming global. Um, mm. Reaching out more on social media, and this, of course, is a complete departure to when the brand first started out. When I didn't have the first clue about how to build a, a good functional website, how to even get a wholesale contract. I mean, I, I figured out what trade shows were, but just the whole process of of promoting the brand, of creating a lookbook, all these things are uh, things that I've learned on the job, as it were. Mm. <laughs>
1: Well you're obviously doing a a good job of it because I see your brand it pops up a lot on my social media do you do you advertise at all on platforms like Facebook or in magazines or anything like that
0: we certainly do I mean part of the digital strategy is making sure that we advertise quite extensively on our platforms like Facebook on Instagram and also on Pinterest as well which is mm. really uh, conducive uh, to um brands like Britannical obviously because it's so visual and Mm. I I like the whole kind of scrapbook mentality I think that fits very well with luxury brands in in general so that's been a big focus of ours so yeah just making sure that we're out there digitally Um, Instagram is obviously very important for um, all kinds of brands but particularly fashion brands and it's quite nice that we've managed to build a community around the brand, albeit on a small scale. There are far bigger fish out there, but just having people complimenting um, our coats, but also giving feedback. So saying, oh, I like that style, but I would prefer it in this color. So that's that's something that has uh, been a great advantage with advertising and kind of putting our name out there on, on social. Hmm.
1: Tell me more about the adult coats. (laughs) As someone who has two children who are both now outside of the age group for your coats, and I look at them longingly thinking, particularly that lovely little a-line navy one that you do that's kind of double-breasted with the lovely buttons. Um, I think it's double-breasted. When are you going to be doing the adult coats, and why has it, how long has the business been going? 10 years, so Why? I can understand you're doing the we're we're just going to be a specialist firstly in baby coats then children under 12 and you you end up having a whole kind of stock issue if you start doing every size but when will the adult coats be happening? (laughs)
0: that is that is the uh, million pound question at the moment um, actually i can tell you exclusively that um oh, a pattern a pattern has been cut based on our kensington coat so it's the the, the two-tone uh, girls coat yeah um so the, the duck egg one i guess is the, the the best known one of those with the the white uh, tipping on the collar and the pockets um so a variation has been cut now what i've been really conscious of doing is not creating a replica I know that certain people like this mummy in me fashion. Um, Mm. It's it's not so kind of up my street, as it were. So what I've wanted to do is cut a pattern that's a variation on a theme that actually works with an adult form that doesn't look too childlike, that has the same elegance and the fall of the child's Mm. coat, but in its own right as an adult garment. So that's the first pattern that we've been working on. Um, for an adaptation of the, the girls Kensington coat going to be working on a variation of the trench coat very soon and we've had quite a few requests actually for the uh, boys jackets to be made into to men's garments so that's something oh, I'm going to be looking at but I am fully aware that there are so many excellent um, menswear and, and women's wear um, outerwear brands in the UK so I am um, wary of the competition. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I, I don't want to tread on any toes because um, there are so many brands that I admire. So starting with uh, Private White VC, for example, mm, uh, I, yeah. I don't want to to make Britannical just about uh, women's wear or men's wear. I, I think that there are other places that our customers can go for excellent quality outerwear but I think that it will be fun it's, it's a nice challenge to create um, adaptations of some of our most popular styles and I know that our customers have been asking for that for quite a few years now so me being think, one of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a small production run and experiment I think that it will be a great tangent uh, for the brand um, and just to see if it catches on and if it does perhaps something that we could develop but I quite like the idea of focusing on uh, children and I like the idea of childhood as a kind of a special and kind of magical time and I think that that is increasingly something that's compromised just because children are growing up quicker social media <laughs> that thing mm. I was just talking about as being great is is changing the way that children live their lives so if I can can create a brand that lets children hold on to childhood for a bit longer or it at least mm. let parents kind of enjoy that moment for a bit longer then I think that there's something a bit magical about that without sounding too corny
1: (laughs) we can't keep all of your best coats just to the kids though that's my point of view
0: (laughs) kids have all the best stuff these days it's it's annoying but yeah I I will kind of even that balance a little bit
1: (laughs) and I know what you're saying about there's a lot of good coat brands in the UK but as someone who would only ever buy a British made coat you can get lots of wax jackets pea coats duffel coats raincoats but are just a really classic wool coat and I have several vintage ones from the 60s and that's generally what I will live in in the winter I have yet to find a brand in the UK that does something like that and your coats do have your kids coats do have that almost that child of the 60s without they are timeless but they have that very um when i'll i'll put pictures of them in the show notes so everyone can see and i'll will link to your <laughs> website as well because have, these coats have to be seen to be believed there it's the, about the cut of them so what i find when i buy a vintage coat from the 60s is it have a, has a very special cut that makes you feel great when you put it on mm-hmm. and i think that is quite difficult to find these days unless you buy a very very expensive design a coat that maybe has been made somewhere like Italy for instance because you know I can live in a wax coat when I'm doing dog walking but if I go to a meeting I want uh, a smart well-fitted wool coat.
0: Well maybe that will be the niche that we (laughs) we need to occupy but that just definitely I I love 60s and 70s style for a start I grew up in Brighton and so um, obviously I've got the influence of kind of the more dramatic Regency and Victorian style but I I really love, I mean, you may know, Kate, that I'm inspired by the mod movement in Mm. tailoring. um, So lots of clean lines, but also kind of retro cuts. This is kind of with the Kensington coat, the whole two-tone colorways. I, I just, I love that era kind of the 60s and the 70s and this was a time when so many coats were made in england there was such a thriving outerwear industry i actually hoard um vintage children's coats british made ones just because i can't stand the idea of them just being put on a skip somewhere (laughs) and also i just love to look at them because just you can't buy this kind of quality anywhere on the high street anymore this is what britannical tries to emulate this as you just said the the way that a coat Makes you feel the the weight of the coat, the way that it uh, falls. It's it's all these things that I'm really mindful of when I'm I'm thinking about the design of the coat, and I think increasingly just looking at what else is around there. This is quite a rare focus for a brand, so perhaps we could bring that to to women's wear and eventually to mm. men's wear as well. Who knows? <laughs> Watch this space.
1: <laughs> Good. I will be watching. I've been watching for a while. When I keep saying, "Are you doing this in a women's one?" <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So, with that in mind, then, what do you say to people? Because, I mean, how much does your average coat retail for a child's coat?
0: Um, I would say around two hundred and eighty pounds. And the thing is, I come from a big family myself, and I haven't grown up with a silver spoon in my mouth. So, I'm well aware that two hundred eighty pounds is a lot of money. But, I mean, as in the diagrams that you've produced, um, in you know the the cost price of of an adult's coat um mm. it's i'd extend a similar logic to our price point in that we make outerwear outerwear is not cut tight to the body it's often the case that our coats will last two or three years um mm. on a child and uh, they, they fit slightly differently because children of course shoot upwards <laughs> faster than they they go outwards so often our coats do last uh two or even three autumn winter seasons so that's that factor but we also make the coats to last. So they can be passed down from one generation to the next, or they can be given to a friend, or even they can be sold and, and enjoyed secondhand. So there there mm. is that um, lifespan of the garment. And also the quality and the craftsmanship is just it's something that uh, people are inclined to invest in. And it is an investment. Um, of course, you can go to the high street and you can buy a, a child's coat for £50. Pounds, um, but it's not going to be the same quality and the attention to detail isn't going to be the same as a botanical coat. So, I am heavily aware that our price point is high. But the trade-off is um, longevity. It is quality and It's specialness as well, Mm. for want of a better term. This coat will make your child feel important. It will look nice. And, of course, we use all-natural wool cloth as well so that comes with a a range of different advantages so um, it's hypoallergenic it allows the child to regulate their temperature obviously wool is is breathable it's um, stain resistant as well that's another Mm. big worry for parents will biscuit get uh, kind of (laughs) um, stuck on the coat and and stain and and all the rest of it but um,
1: waterproof isn't it wool is naturally water repellent
0: Yes, yes, and hmm. um, it's it's uh, flame resistant as well, fire resistant. So that's another advantage. Um, yeah, all kinds of uh, advantages with using natural and sustainable materials.
1: So, so what do you? Why would you say to someone as, as aside from what you've just said? Why do you think in general it is important to buy UK made products?
0: And um, Well. Just from my perspective, I I wouldn't ever style myself as kind of a a nationalist or anything like that. And I don't think Britannical Mm. is about that. But my interest in promoting British made is to do with supporting local community and it's to do with preserving heritage as well. Um, not just my heritage as somebody who mm-hmm. <laughs> whose relatives come from the fashion industry, but kind of our textile production heritage, which has waned uh, in, in recent decades, but is still very much there. And I hope we'll have a resurgence with the current circumstances as well. So it's about kind of, yeah, supporting local, um, in our case, London, but also we work with textile mills across the country um, in all four nations as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's about protecting the local. It's about celebrating tradition, preserving heritage, and uh, hopefully putting the UK on the map. Um, I mean, it already is in terms of the fashion industry, mm. but uh, making sure doubly that <laughs> that is the case. Yeah. Brilliant.
1: Well, on that note, then I think, and um, unless you have anything else that you think that I've not covered.
0: Um, I think it's been uh, pretty uh, comprehensive. One thing, if I can do a bit of a shout out. (laughs) Of course you can, go ahead. (laughs) Please do look at our autumn winter collection, which is um, being added to. Actually, we're we're having different uh, drops throughout the season. So different styles. We're just about to launch um, more of a a heritage um, capsule collection. So featuring some modern tweed and also some tartan, um, both produced in in Britain, actually. Um, So that's something to look forward to some more Excellent. kind of wintry festive designs we're also going to be launching um a british uh, christmas shop uh, featuring um uh gift ideas from uh, partner uh luxury british brands so uh, and gifts for children that is so uh toys and kind of keepsakes uh within kind of the luxury and british made niche so that's kind ah, of a new departure so where can we look out find for that it's being developed at the moment. Uh, we're just uh, talking to different partners, but let's say we'll have some adorable teddy bears to add to the mm-hmm. equation. And also, uh, there is a great British collaboration in the offing uh, in house in Britannical, and that is some baby shoes being made in Britain oh. in lovely leather, um, just so that we can cater to both ends—kind of the the youngest and <laughs> eventually the the adult uh, <laughs> market as well. So, yes, we we're. we're we're spreading out in that respect but uh more announcements on that later i guess
1: (laughs) brilliant well i'll look out for that fantastic well rachel thank you so much for talking to me today i wish you all the best with the brand i will put links to everything that you've mentioned in the show notes for the podcast and thank you very much for speaking to me take care
0: thanks so much kate it's been a pleasure
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British-made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.